You're listening to the Dead Presidents Podcast. And this is the Top 5 Most Accomplished Presidential Moms. Welcome once again to the Dead Presidents Podcast. I'm Stephen Lincoln Douglas. And I am James J. Hamilton. And we're going to keep our focus on the ladies. Last time we examined some accomplished presidential daughters. And this time, we're going to look at some of the moms. That's right. We wouldn't be here without our moms, and neither would the presidents. That's true. So let's take a gander. At the top five most accomplished presidential moms. Number five. Phoebe Harding. Phoebe Dickerson was born in Ohio in 1843. In 1864, she secretly married George Tyrone Harding just before he marched off with the Union Army and did not reveal the marriage to her family until months later after he was discharged with typhoid fever. In 1865, Phoebe gave birth to Warren Gamaliel Harding, the first of eight children. She was deeply religious and instilled her children with religious values. She also promoted their education and is credited with teaching Warren how to read. George Harding studied medicine and started a practice as a country doctor, but he was forced to supplement his income through farming and various other pursuits. Phoebe assisted in George's medical practice and worked on her own as a midwife. She was more diligent, talented, and successful than her husband, and her midwifery brought in more income than his medical practice. In 1896, Ohio's State Medical Board granted Phoebe a license to practice medicine, and she became a doctor in her own right, specializing in obstetrics and pediatrics. Hmm. No mean accomplishment for a woman in 1896. That's correct. Well, in 1897, after the death of a child that she was treating for cholera, the father of the child falsely accused her of giving the child morphine. A respected local physician exonerated her and pronounced the cause of death as cholera. Her son Warren wrote in the pages of his Marion Star newspaper that the story, quote, owes its origin to rank idiocy or dangerous lunacy sufficient contradiction of which is Mrs. Harding's own word. The writer has known her very intimately for over 30 years, and at all that time, never knew her to utter a single falsehood or deceiving word. Keep my mom's name out your mouth, says that's, Warren Harding. That's right. Warren was very close with his mother and brought her flowers every Sunday during the last 15 years of her life. Warren's father said, quote, it was not my influence that governed Warren, but his mother's. Through all his life, he has thought of her in connection with everything he has done. Hopefully not everything. Yeah, that could be a wicked burn on part of Warren's father. Could be. When Phoebe died in 1910 after a long and painful illness, the Marian Star said, quote, Her tongue could utter no unkindness, and bitterness was never in her heart. A fine mother. Indeed. Warren Harding sounds like a bit of a mama's boy. A little bit. Perhaps the nation would have been better off if she was still around while he was president. Could be. But that's going to bring us 
to the top five most accomplished presidential moms. Number four. Elizabeth Jackson. Elizabeth Hutchinson was born in 1740 in Ireland. In 1760, she married Andrew Jackson Sr. and had two sons, Hugh and Robert, before emigrating to America in 1765, settling on the border between North and South Carolina. In 1767, when she was almost nine months pregnant, her husband died in a logging accident. Andrew Jackson Jr. was born three weeks after his father's death. The family moved in with Elizabeth's sister, who was an invalid, where Elizabeth took care of her three sons as well as eight nieces and nephews. She wanted Andrew to become a Presbyterian minister and sent him to school from the ages of eight to thirteen, a better education than his older brothers had received. When the British invaded the South during the second half of the Revolutionary War, Elizabeth's eldest son, Hugh, joined the army and died of heat exhaustion after the Battle of Stono Ferry. In 1781, Robert and Andrew were serving as couriers for the Continental Army when they were captured by the British and held in a prison camp where they contracted smallpox. Elizabeth secured their release in a prisoner exchange and escorted them on a 45-mile trek back home, where Robert, unfortunately, died of smallpox. Andrew was dangerously ill, but Elizabeth nursed him back to health. Yeah, and you'll remember in our Jackson episode, uh, one horse between them and Robert, being the most ill, got to ride on the horse. Uh, Elizabeth and Andrew, they walked that trek. As soon as he recovered, she headed out to Charleston to care for two sick nephews being held prisoner on British ships. There, Elizabeth contracted cholera and died. Andrew wanted to bring her body home, but he was never able to find her gravesite. He greatly admired his mother and never forgot her last words to him, which he later recalled as, quote, the law of my life. She told him, quote, in this world, you will have to make your own way. In personal conduct, always be polite, but never obsequious. None will respect you more than you respect yourself. Avoid quarrels as long as you can without yielding to imposition, but sustain your manhood always. Wise words. Indeed, and Andrew Jackson certainly took that to heart. Yep. Elizabeth Jackson, certainly a very strong woman that left a mark on her son. Indeed. And that's going to bring us to the top five most accomplished presidential moms. Number three, Lillian Carter. Lillian Gordy was born in Georgia in 1898. In 1923, she earned a nursing degree and became a registered nurse. The same year, she married James Earl Carter and soon thereafter gave birth to James Earl Carter Jr., the first of her four children. Lillian served as a nurse practitioner and treated the hundreds of employees of her husband's peanut farming business, as well as other members of her Plains, Georgia community. That's it. She often served as a midwife for African-American mothers who could not afford a doctor. Lillian held enlightened racial views and welcomed black people into her home, much to the chagrin of her neighbors and her pro-segregation husband. Lillian was an activist and worked for desegregation and was highly respected by the black community. After her husband's death in 1953, she worked as a fraternity house mother at Auburn University. In 1966, at age 68, 
She volunteered for the Peace Corps and spent two years working as a nurse in India, treating patients for leprosy and working at a family planning clinic. She said the experience, quote, meant more to me than any other one thing in my life. Lillian was 78 years old when her son became President of the United States. She attended the inauguration and visited the White House often. Her southern charm and sassy responses made the first mother a favorite of reporters. In 1977, she represented the United States at the funeral of India's president, during which trip she returned to the village she had served in the Peace Corps. In 1980, she and Vice President Walter Mondale attended the funeral of Yugoslavian President Marshal Tito. She published two books during her son's presidency, Miss Lillian and Friends and Away From Home, Letters to My Family. President Carter described his mother as, quote, an extrovert, very dynamic, inquisitive in her attitude about life, compassionate toward others. She died of pancreatic cancer in 1983. Lillian is also the mother of our number one most embarrassing presidential brother, Billy Carter. When asked whether she would attend the ribbon-cutting ceremony for the launch of Billy Beer, Lillian said, quote, I attended Jimmy's inauguration, didn't I? That's right. The Billy Beer launch, Billy's inauguration. <laughs> Pretty much. And that's going to bring us to the top five most accomplished presidential moms. Number two. Barbara Bush. Barbara Pierce was born in 1925 in New York City. Her father was the publisher of Red Book and McCall's magazines. She was a fourth cousin four times removed of President Franklin Pierce. Barbara graduated from a prestigious private boarding school and attended Smith College, though she dropped out in 1945 to marry Navy bomber pilot and future president George H.W. Bush. While her husband attended Yale University, Barbara gave birth to their first child, future President George W. Bush. She had five more children, including future Florida Governor Jeb Bush and a daughter, Robin, who tragically died of leukemia at age three. The family moved to Texas in 1948, where H.W. entered the oil business and eventually politics. Barbara raised the children and supported her husband's career. When he became vice president in 1981, Barbara served as second lady of the United States and became a champion for the cause of children's literacy. She published the children's book, See Fred's Story About the Family Dog. She endured an icy relationship with first lady Nancy Reagan, who looked down on Barbara and was obsessed with preventing the vice presidential couple from upstaging her. In 1988, Barbara campaigned on her husband's behalf and spoke at the Republican National Convention. As First Lady, she started the Barbara Bush Foundation for Family Literacy, hosted a national radio program, Mrs. Bush's Storytime, and published another children's book, Millie's Book, as dictated to Barbara Bush about a different family dog. The Bush family dogs, very prolific authors. Indeed. In 1990, Barbara gave a celebrated commencement address at Wellesley College, which American Rhetoric ranked at number 45 on its list of top 100 speeches of the 20th century. Wow. None of her husband's speeches made the cut. Hmm. 
In it, Barbara encouraged graduates to, quote, believe in something larger than yourself to get involved in some of the big ideas of our time. I chose literacy because I honestly believe that if more people could read, write, and comprehend, we would be that much closer to solving so many of the problems that plague our nation and our society. And early on, I made another choice, which I hope you'll make as well, whether you're talking about education, career, or service, you're talking about life, and life really must have joy. It's supposed to be fun. Hmm. White House staff considered Barbara the friendliest and most easygoing first lady in their memory. Take that, Nancy Reagan. During the 1992 presidential campaign, Barbara stated her belief that abortion and homosexuality were personal matters that should be kept out of party platforms. She also advocated for civil rights, AIDS awareness, and alleviating homelessness. After leaving the White House, she published several more books, including Barbara Bush, a memoir, Reflections, Life After the White House, Your Own True Colors, Timeless Wisdom from America's Grandmother, and Pearls of Wisdom, Little Pieces of Advice That Go a Long Way. Barbara then supported the political careers of her sons, George W. and Jeb, and continued to stress literacy in the education policy of her presidential son. At the 2000 Republican National Convention, W. said of his mother, quote, Growing up, she gave me love and lots of advice. I gave her white hair. Oof. Barbara has received honorary degrees from more than 30 colleges and has had several schools and a children's hospital named after her. She died in 2018 at the age of 92. Yep, old Barbara Bush. Quite a woman. Indeed. America's grandmother. Mm-hmm. And that's going to bring us to the top five accomplished presidential moms. Number one. Abigail Adams. Abigail Smith was born in Massachusetts in 1744. She received no formal education, but her mother taught her to read and write, and she educated herself through extensive reading from the large libraries of her family members. In 1764, she married the lawyer and future president John Adams and had six children, the second being future president John Quincy Adams. When her husband entered politics during the Revolution, Abigail became his closest and most trusted advisor. In 1776, while he was serving in the Continental Congress, she urged him to, quote, remember the ladies and be more generous and favorable to them than your ancestors. Do not put such unlimited power into the hands of the husbands. Remember, all men would be tyrants if they could. If particular care and attention is not paid to the ladies, we are determined to foment a rebellion and will not hold ourselves bound by any laws in which we have no voice or representation. Abigail argued in favor of women's education, saying, quote, If you complain of neglect of education in sons, what shall I say with regard to daughters, who every day experience the want of it? I most sincerely wish that some more liberal plan might be laid and executed for the benefit of the rising generation, and that our new constitution may be distinguished for encouraging learning and virtue. If we mean to have heroes, statesmen, and philosophers, we should have learned women. Abigail also favored the abolition of slavery, writing, quote, I wish most sincerely there was not a slave in this province. It always appeared a most iniquitous scheme to me to fight ourselves for what we are daily robbing and plundering from those who have as good a right to freedom as we have. 
1783, Abigail joined her husband in Paris during his diplomatic service there, and in 1785, during his service as the first U.S. minister to Britain, where she and her husband were received by King George III. She continued to support her husband's political career during his eight years as vice president, when her son also embarked on a political career. That's right. Abigail instilled in her children the importance of living a life of virtue and doing honor to the family name. She wrote to John Quincy Adams, quote, Learning is not attained by chance. It must be sought for with ardor and attended to with diligence. And during the long period of his teenage years that he spent in Europe, she worried that he would become too worldly and lose the austere New England values she raised him with. She was also adamant that he establish himself in a career before starting a family, and her disapproval caused him to break off at least one early romance. When John Adams was elected president in 1796, Abigail wrote that she expected, quote, to be vilified and abused for continuing to speak her mind. Quote, I have been so used to freedom of sentiment that I know not how to place so many guards about me as will be indispensable to look at every word before I utter it and to impose a silence upon myself when I long to talk. As First Lady, she was the President's trusted advisor and stayed involved in political issues, circulating letters to family and friends, encouraging the spread of information favorable to the administration. She served as hostess of official functions at the presidential residence in the capital of Philadelphia, but because the president had to pay for entertaining out of his own pocket at the time, her functions were rather austere. She was unabashedly partisan in favor of the Federalist Party and drew criticism from the opposition, with Albert Gallatin referring to her as, quote, Her Majesty and Mrs. President, not of the United States, but of a faction. Hmm. Abigail shot back her own criticisms of, quote, the sly, the artful, the insidious Gallatin. In the last four months of the administration, the Adamses moved into the White House in the new capital of Washington, D.C., where Abigail famously hung her laundry out to dry in the empty and unfurnished East Room. After her husband's presidency, she reached out to their former friend Thomas Jefferson to express sympathy over his daughter's death opening the door to the reconciliation that led to the famous Adams-Jefferson correspondence in later life. Abigail helped raise several of her grandchildren, taking care of John Quincy's sons while he served as ambassador to Russia. She also nursed her daughter Nabby, who died from breast cancer in 1813. Abigail herself died in 1818 at the age of 73 from typhoid fever. Her last words were, quote, Do not grieve, my friend, my dearest friend. I am ready to go. And John, it will not be long. Wow. Abigail Adams, a remarkable woman for her time. Indeed. A woman for all time. Indeed. That's going to bring us to the end of our list of top five accomplished presidential moms. That may give a little bit of a window into how these presidents became the men they became. Indeed. For the Dead Presidents Podcast, I'm Stephen Lincoln Douglas. And I'm James J. Hamilton. Thanks for listening.